0: We are in our third week of our Advent series, focusing in on Christmas, and today we are talking about peace. We're talking about the biblical definition of peace, which is the idea of shalom. Peace is something that people are looking for, wanting to find in their hearts and in their lives. It all starts with a foundation of love, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That love that comes down to us, that pours into us, really invades our soul and it changes us from the inside out. No longer are we the same. We are different because of the love of God coming into us and coming into our souls. That love then turns into a deep sense of joy and peace that we can experience through the love of God that has come to us. And that's what we're going to look at today is what is the biblical idea Of peace. I want to look at the verses that were referred to on the video as we begin our message today. That is a prophecy that was given out of the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah gives this incredible prophecy seven hundred years before Jesus came on the scene, describing what the Messiah would be, what the Messiah would do, what we could look for in the Messiah. Perfectly fulfilled in who Jesus is. Again, the prophecies are something that are very fascinating to me because they're. they're a a a proof of who Jesus really is these things that were predicted will happen have happened and as a result it can confirm and really strengthen the faith that we have Isaiah chapter 9 here are the words about the coming Messiah 700 years before Jesus came on the scene so almost 3,000 years ago now um, these words were given Nevertheless, it says the gloom will not be upon her. Who is this her that is being referenced? That is Israel. The gloom uh, will not forever be upon Israel who is distressed. Israel was a mess. Israel was feeling hopeless. They had walked away from God. The gloom will not always be upon her, as when at first God lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. So what does that mean? It means God allowed certain things to happen to try to convince the people to come back to him. They had left him. They had rejected God. They had walked away from God. So he had allowed oppression, allowed uh, them to be lightly esteemed, meaning I'm trying to get you to come back. I'm using whatever means of discipline to try to bring you back and give you hope. The people at that time walked in darkness. They, they were walking in the shadow of darkness, in a dark state. They had turned their hearts from God, but there will come a time, though they are walking in the shadow of darkness, that they will see a great light, the Messiah. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the Messiah will come and a light will shine. For unto us a child is born. A son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice those words, Prince of Peace. That is who this Messiah is going to be. Of the increase of his government and of, their, uh, of his peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, that's Israel, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So what is the prophet Isaiah saying 700 years before Jesus came on the scene? He was saying the land is going to be a mess. It's going to be hopeless. It's going to be dark. People will turn their hearts from God, but something amazing is going to happen. They're going to see a great light. They're going to see one who is coming, who will be the wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father, mighty God, and he is the one who holds all peace in his hand. That is a prophecy given 700 years before Jesus that Jesus fulfilled entirely. Today, I want to focus in on that idea of him being the Prince of Peace, and his peace being no end, and what that peace means in our lives here today, 2,000 years removed from where he was at. Can that peace still come into my life today? Let's pray and get into the message here today. Father, help us to understand what your peace really means and how we receive it. There... Uh, People in this room who are not with you right now. They're not walking with you. They're not feeling the peace that they deeply need in their hearts. We all need that, Lord. We need to know your peace. We need to know your presence in our lives. And it starts with understanding your love that you've given to us. Lord, help that love turn into that deep abiding peace that all of us can experience and feel no matter what's going on around us. Lord, teach us today through your word. Teach us your truth and help us to walk in it. Help us to receive it, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do here as we open your word. We pray that you would show us what it means to have real, deep, abiding peace in our hearts and in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Peace. that sounds kind of like a fantasy, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like wishful thinking that we could have absolute peace in our hearts. Maybe you are like the comic strip Peanuts when Sally was talking to her brother Charlie Brown and these words came out of her mouth. She said, I hate everything. I hate the whole world. Charlie Brown says, I thought you had inner peace. I do, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. Maybe that's you today. You are saying, well, I have inner peace. I'm just obnoxious on the outside. Well, that's not real peace. Real peace is change that begins to happen on the inside. We all desperately need peace. We all want peace. There were two little thoughtful children, six-year-old Johnny and his four-year-old little sister Susie, and they had an idea that they wanted to buy a plant or flowers for their mom. So they went to the flower store and they were going to buy flowers there for her but they didn't have much money and all they could afford to buy with was this spindly little house plant it was not a very good looking house plant at that but they purchased it and gave it to their mom and her their mom was so grateful and so thankful and she hugged and she kissed her children and she told them that she loved them for thinking of her Little Johnny said to her, the, there were some uh, other flowers that we really wanted to buy for you, and uh, but we just didn't have enough money. Yeah, said the sister Susie, there was a real nice bunch of flowers, but we just couldn't afford it, but we were going to buy this. And the mom said, but I love this plant. This plant is so perfect. Johnny said, I know, mom, but these flowers would have been perfect for you. They were in a wreath, and they had a ribbon, a ribbon across it, and it said, rest in peace. And we thought this would be perfect for you because you're always saying that you want a little peace and rest. And so that's what we thought. Is that what real rest is? Is that what real peace is? And the answer is no. The Bible describes what peace is. And the biblical word is the word shalom. It's the word you saw on the screen today. Shalom is the idea. Peace is a poor translation of the word shalom. Because ultimately, this is what God wants for us to have. So what is the definition of shalom, you may ask? Well, we saw it on the video, but let me give it to you again. The word shalom means to be safe in mind, body, or estate; state. To have completeness, soundness, fullness, and wholeness. That's what shalom is. To have fullness, completeness, soundness, and wholeness. This is what God is describing, that Jesus is going to bring and that he wants to really inject into our lives a real sense of completeness, soundness, fullness, and wholeness. True biblical shalom refers to that sense of inward, that inward sense of that completeness, fullness, wholeness, and contentment. And the problem is that we look in all of the wrong places to try to find that. We're all looking for it. We just can't seem to find it. There are core needs that every person has, but really these core needs are about a person's heart. And inside of a person's heart, if you could think of it this way, think that the person's heart is empty. It's beating, but the spiritual heart, the spiritual nature is empty. And I want to be complete, whole, full, but I feel empty. And so, what do I do to curb that emptiness, to fill that craving that I have? Well, the world tells you this just have enough money. And if you have enough money, that's gonna take away every bit of emptiness you feel. And so, you go and you accomplish and you accumulate and you get lots of money, and then you're left feeling still empty. It didn't satisfy, it's not meaningful. I don't feel complete, whole, full, and content. So they say, okay, well then go get the right job. If you can find the right job, you will find meaning and purpose in your job. And if you can find the right job, then you will feel complete and whole and full and content. content. And you do that and then you aren't satisfied. So you change jobs and you aren't satisfied. So you change jobs again so you're not satisfied even more. Because the job will never make you feel full and whole and complete and content. And so you think, well, okay, maybe that's not the answer. Maybe it's having a bunch of stuff. Maybe if I just accumulated a lot of material things and I got a new car and I got a new, uh, a new toy and I get new, a new house and maybe that will finally make me feel full and complete and whole and content. And you try that and it just doesn't work and it's empty and it's meaningless and it just doesn't ever satisfy. So you think, well, maybe it's, it's relationships. Maybe if I have a different relationship so maybe if it's a different boyfriend, different girlfriend, different spouse, then finally I'll feel whole and complete and at peace, content. And I do that, and I don't, because that person doesn't have the power to do that in my life. Maybe you think, well, if I, if I have the right education, or if I associate with the right groups, or on and on and on the list goes, And all kinds of things that the world does in order to finally feel full and complete and content. But I'm not. And I never am. There are core needs within every person. Every person created. Every person across all time and across this world are the same. We have a need in life for love and acceptance. Everybody wants to feel loved and accepted. But if you don't, you start to feel unlovable and unacceptable. We all have a need to be worthwhile and significant. But if you don't have that, you feel worthless and insignificant. We have a need for peace and contentment. But if you don't have that, if you can't find that, you feel discontent and a lack of peace in your life. We have a need for belonging and con- uh, connection. But if you can't find that, if you're not finding that, you will feel lonely and disconnected. We have a desire for hope and joy, but if you can't find it, if you haven't found that, you feel hopeless and joyless. All of these core words can be summarized by this biblical idea of shalom. See, that's what we're really looking for, is what God says and God describes as this— Wholeness, contentness, fullness. That's the thing that we crave. That's the thing we desire. And the world offers up all kinds of artificial means to try to satisfy in ways that it will not do. So today... In our brief time remaining, I want to look at two things when it comes to this idea of peace, of shalom. I want to look at the source of peace, and then I want to look at the significance. In other words, why, what, what does this do for me? Why does it matter in my life? Let's start with looking at the source of peace. Where does this come from? And there's really only one source, according to the Bible, of where peace, real peace, real shalom, is actually going to come from. Now, again, the world does not offer this. The world offers a counterfeit or an artificial thing, like an artificial sweetener or an artificial flavoring. Some of you try to uh, use artificial sweeteners instead of the real thing. You think, okay, sugar is bad, so I'm going to use whatever artificial sweetener. Some of you are addicted to Diet Coke, for example you love diet coke you can't get enough of it you drink it all the time it's that artificialness that is in that diet coke which is a substitute that kind of tastes similar but really is fake it's got a bad aftertaste it's really not good for you it's an artificial substitute that's what the world offers counterfeit peace artificial peace it's not the real thing you can try it but it's not going to satisfy you And you try it over and over again, but it will not satisfy you long term. It is a temporary fix to an ultimate deep down thing that I have in my life, and that is a deep need for peace. There was another prophecy that was given of the coming Messiah, also 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. It was from the prophet Micah. In Micah chapter 5, we see this picture of the coming Messiah. It tells where the Messiah would be born, and again, what this Messiah would be like. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Micah records these words. Be you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little, and Bethlehem was this little tiny speck of a town. Though you are little among the thousands of cities and villages of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old. They are from everlasting. He was there before the foundation of the world. Therefore... He, God, shall give them up. What is giving them? Who's the them? That's Israel. He's going to give Israel up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. So Israel will be in a dark position, a dark spot, until the one gives birth to the coming Messiah. Until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. And he, the Messiah, shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this one shall be peace. Who does that sound like? That is exactly Jesus it's exactly what he did. Again, prophesied about 700 years before he was on the scene and this one shall be peace. This is the source of peace. He will be the peace. Other translations of the Bible says it say it this way and he will be our peace. The NLT and he will be the source of peace. The uh, the TLV, this one will be Shalom. So what is all of that saying? That is saying that the source of where we ultimately find peace is only in Jesus. There is artificial ways that will never satisfy. And then there is the real one who will satisfy the longings of our heart. And that is Jesus alone. He is the source of peace. This is why he told his followers, John fourteen twenty seven, Shalom, I leave you. My shalom I give to you, but not as the world gives, because that's fake. Do not let your heart be troubled or afraid. I give you real peace, Jesus says, real shalom. Everything your heart craves, longing, contentment, all of the fullness, all of the wholeness, I'm going to give it to you. It can only come through me. Ephesians 2, Paul says, But now in Messiah Yeshua, Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he is our shalom, the one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation. He is the source of our peace, and he is the bridge of the gap between ourselves and God. He broke it all down and brought us to God. And he puts into us the peace that we so dearly and desperately need. Again, we look for peace in all kinds of artificial ways, counterfeit ways. And we think that's going to satisfy. If I meet the right guy, meet the right girl, get the right husband, get the right wife, have the right material possessions, have enough money, have a great job, and perfectly healthy all the time. We think that'll be it. And that it does not satisfy because he is the only one who really brings ultimate, deep down peace into our hearts. That's the source of peace. When Jesus comes in and invades my soul, he, by coming into my heart, all of a sudden flips everything else upside down and becomes the source of the peace that I desperately need. So that is the source of peace. But what about, what about the significance of peace? What is that all about? Why does peace matter? What does it do for me? Well, I'm going to give you a few things that peace does for me. And I'm going to put it into two categories. I'm going to tell you some of the things that peace will do and how it will change your life. Number one is that it gives you freedom. I feel like I I want the Braveheart clip to show where he's shouting freedom. That's what peace from Christ does. It gives you deep down freedom. But freedom from what, you may ask? Well, let me give you a few things that you get set free from when God comes into your life. It says in the book of Galatians, Paul says, For freedom, Messiah has set us free. So stand firm and do not be burdened by a yoke of slavery again. What are some of the things? Well, he sets us free from the law. We don't have to perform the law. We don't have to perform the sacrifices, the rituals, the duty. We don't have to strive for that. He sets us free from addiction. He sets us free from destructive emotions. He sets us free from those kind of things. But there's a few other things that he sets us free from. Here's one. Did you know that the freedom that Jesus offers sets you free from worry and anxiety Any of you filled with worry and anxiety in your life? It's like become debilitating how much worry and anxiety you have. Philippians says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I don't have to be anxious and I don't have to worry because the peace of God has taken over my heart. I don't have to worry about that. Jesus teaches about that in Matthew. He says, so I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you're going to eat or drink or about your body, what you're going to wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? How many of you don't have to put your hands up, but I want you to think about this. How many of you spent an, uh, an uh, extraordinary, uh, extraordinary amount of time today picking out the clothes that you were going to wear for church today? Um, some of you did. Some of you didn't. I'm glad all of you wore clothes. That's a good thing. Thank you for doing that. But some people spent way too much time on that. Or on how you looked in the mirror. Spent way too much time on your looks, your appearance, your hair. I didn't spend any time on my hair today at all. Some of you did. Why are we worried about that? Why are you worried about your body, about what you eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear? Therefore, do not worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for the pagans eagerly pursue all these things. Yet your father who is in heaven knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why are we worried? Well, we don't have to. Because the peace of God sets me free from worry and anxiety. Psalm 27.1. The peace of God also sets me free from fear. I don't have to walk around and live my life in fear. The Lord is my light, my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? I don't have to be in fear. I have freedom from it. Why? Because the peace of God has invaded my soul. When I have God's love that turns into joy and peace in my heart, I have freedom. You know what else you have freedom from? You have freedom from, hear this one, people's approval, expectations, and opinions. Did you know that? You don't have to live for their expectations, opinions, and approval. Some are approval addicts, and you just desperately need to be approved of. Guess what? The peace of God sets you free from that. Paul says, am I now trying to win people's approval or God's? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Messiah. The peace of God sets me free from what everybody else thinks. And whether or not people approve, and whatever expectations they have, you know, that's incredibly liberating, Just to know, you know what? It doesn't matter what they think. If the God of the universe approves of me and loves me and has given me his peace, why do I care what these people have to say? Now, does that mean I just want to go around and just be a jerk? No. I want to be kind. I want to be loving. However, what people think of you, what people think of me, doesn't really matter. It's what the God of the universe says. We have freedom from people. I love what Dave Ramsey said in his book, The Total Money Makeover. I don't know if it was his original quote or whose it was, but here's what he says. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. You ever done that? I have spent money to buy something I absolutely did not need because I thought maybe this would impress somebody. Well, you know what? I'm free from that. I am free from people's opinions. I'm also free from fearing people. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. Why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals, people, what could they do to me? Nothing. I need to really trust God, not care about what people think. The peace of God gives me freedom from that. You know what else the peace of God does? It gives me freedom from the rat race of life. It uh, reorganizes my priorities in life. Ecclesiastes says this, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. In other words, be content with what you have and quit living your life for so much more and missing the life that you could be having today. Better to have one than two. Better to appreciate this instead of craving something else. The American society is really crazy about this. We are one of the hardest working, if not the hardest working societies in the world. And we have missed the idea of what it means to be content with life. But he's saying, I want you to quit striving and quit chasing And walk in the peace that God has given you. So we have freedom. And that's an amazing thing. To be free from worry, anxiety. To be free from fear. To be free from people's opinions and expectations and and ideas and their approval. To be free from the rat race of life. Second thing though, that the peace of God really gives to me is not just freedom, it also gives me rest. And this is ultimately... What many of us just need. You know, we've gone through a couple of series where we talked about the idea of rest. We went through one where we looked at all of the Ten Commandments and how those are modern day things for us to do. Um, We looked at how that ties into Jesus. We looked at the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus. And we learned about the first half of that, which is learning to sit and rest and receive when I have the peace of God in my life, I can finally rest. Because I don't have to keep jumping through hoops. And I don't have to keep searching for people's approval and their acceptance. I don't have to meet their expectations. I don't have to live with the worry and the anxiety. I can finally rest. It's a byproduct of learning to have freedom. Jesus says it this way. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I want you to note this. That is a promise that God says, I will give you rest. I will. Not, I might. Or, if you do enough, I could. Or, I might consider. He says, if you will come to me, I will give you rest. Everything I have craved in my heart, loved, accepted, significance, worthwhile, contentment, peace, belonging, connection, hope, and joy, everything I need in my heart that I've been searching my life for, the peace of God comes in, meets that need, and I could finally have rest. How great is that to finally have rest? In our society, we again, as I mentioned before, we are the hardest working, one of the hardest working societies in the world. And we strive to gain more and accumulate more and accomplish more and be more successful and have more toys and more things and more stuff. And all of that stuff just finally becomes meaningless. It doesn't really matter. When I finally find freedom and rest in what only Jesus can provide. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will, again, there's another promise, you will, not you may, you might, you could, perhaps, you will find rest for your soul. The idea of peace is a byproduct of love when God's love comes in to my heart and invades my soul I start to feel joy and I start to feel peace and everything I had been striving for tends to just fade away it's like that does not matter anymore yeah, I need to go to work. Yes, I need to have a job. I need to have some money. We need to, I need to provide for my family, but that can't be my driving motivation. God becomes the driving motivation of my heart when I finally receive the peace that he gives. Do you have that kind of peace today? Or are you still striving? Do you have freedom today from what everybody else thinks, or are you still trying to get their approval are you living for other people's opinions and expectations, or do you have that freedom that God has provided? Are you free today from worry and anxiety and fear? Are you free today from the rat race of life? Are you free today from the addictions that are, that are weighing you down? How do, you, how do I find that? It's the peace of God in my heart, the shalom he provides, that will ultimately set me free and give me the rest that I desperately need. We're going to close with a word of prayer, and then I'll dismiss you. But as you leave, make sure you recognize and realize that you're going out into a hostile world. You're going out as the light of Christ, because he has touched your heart and your life and invaded your soul with his love, and you have his peace. Let's pray. Father, as we leave this place, I pray, Father, that we would not only understand but be overwhelmed with the fact that you love us that you approve of us and we do not have to live under the unrealistic expectations opinions and approvals of others we're never going to be perfect we're never going to do everything perfectly right and so lord that freedom is is so good help us lord to understand what that shalom really is in our own lives Help us to experience it and experience the love that you have given to us. As we leave this place, help us to be the church in this community, to make a difference in the world around us, to bring your hope, your light, your love, your joy, and your peace with us everywhere we go. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Next week, come back. We'll be talking about hope. We'll see you then.